I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hi, I'm Laura Mooker from London and you're listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. My question is, why is frozen pineapple so mind-blowingly delicious? Okay, here comes the show and remember, question everything. Hello everybody, welcome to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything, a podcast where myself, comedian, writer and occasional actor Dane Baptiste, my producer friend Howard Cohen, aka The Hizzer, Hello! Pose all the questions that need to be asked and we are talking everything from... We are talking everything from Laura from London's question, why is frozen pineapple so good? Dane, where do you stand on frozen pineapple? It's fine. I feel like the main ingredient is sugar. Uh, Interesting, or, yeah. Also, Laura, I imagine it's delicious, but keep in mind that pineapples are not native to the UK, so enjoying some real mm. fruit-based privilege right there. So that's probably what you're enjoying. The fruit taste privilege. Of, the taste of the taboo is probably why it's so delicious, because it's forbidden. Yeah. Forbidden fruit, if you will. So. Very, yeah, very true. And um, I mean, it's a very specific question, but that's fine because we ask and answer all the questions on this podcast. Absolutely. No question is too big or too small, too intelligent or too stupid. So if you like the show, please rate and review it on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify and you'll never miss an episode. Or you can find us by subscribing to us on Acast, the world's largest podcast network, because we have all the very special guests. With that being said, on today's show is a podcaster, writer and journalist of black and Jewish origin, who is the former president of the Cambridge University Student Union's Black and Minority Ethnic Campaign. She has written for The Guardian, Huffington Post, The Daily Mirror, Vice, GQ, The Metro, and more. She is also a regular contributor to each other, a new news organisation that is focused on bringing people together, not driving them apart, and her podcast, Nadine Talks, offers alternative analysis of stories behind the headlines. Suffice to say, uh, it is none other than Nadine Bachelor-Hunt. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. Welcome. What's happening, Nadine? Shabbat Shalom. And what one? <laughs> Why can't there be intersectionality, Dane? I'm just going to say Shabbat Shalom, right? <laughs> well, intersectionality of the week, I suppose you're supposed to say Shabbat Shalom before Shabbat, but if you want to make it intersectional, it can be for every day of the week. So There's something I've learned that Howard never taught me ever. <laughs> oh, so you thought you could say Shabbat Shalom whenever? When it's on the, you can say shalom. Yeah, you can say shalom whenever. The, you can say shalom for, whenever. For the Sabbath, surely, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah, if yeah. you if you met someone on a Monday and said Shabbat Shalom, they might think you're a bit strange. If if you can say Shabbat Shalom on like a Thursday and a Friday, maybe a Wednesday night if you're feeling very keen, but I would stick to I would stick to like a Thursday and a Friday. I'll, yeah, keep it. I'll keep it safe-ish. Oh, that. I mean, oh, you just you just say shalom, right? On a regular. Yeah, sh- shalom. You can say shalom whenever oh. you want to say shalom. That's fine. Um, Shabbat Shalom is quite specific though. Exactly. Or depending on what kind of Jewish male you're talking to in what particular postcode, you can just say Wagwan and he'll probably be like, Yeah, Wagwan, bro. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how, for example. <laughs> exactly. I mean, I'm really excited. Dane, finally, we have managed to, you know, invite a black Jewish person onto the show. It's the, you know, it's the, the one of the dream scenarios for us to, uh, to bring our different, you know, me and Dane are united by our, you know, diverse ethnic background. <laughs> and Nadine, I feel that you are bringing us together in a new way. Well, that's my, uh, that's my, that's my, um, that's my goal. Um, I thought I need to make sure that I don't feel like I can solve everything though, because I feel like sometimes I become a bit utopian and then we can all just be together as one. And it's like, we're not quite there yet. We need to slow down like I know. a step at a time. I, I get I get that though. Obviously you're like, I'm the evidence. I'm the evidence. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. Yeah. But it's good though. But more, more to the point, it allows me to say things like, Hey, this could, you know, it's a fusion. It's a fusion, right? Like a, like a, like a jerk chicken bagel. Like that's a, that's, that's that's like something out of a horror. That, 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 I feel like that's something that I would imagine in a horror film, a jerk chicken bagel, like. Oh no, you can get a jerk chicken bagel. I've seen that at Bagel King, Old Kent Road. Well, is it? Oh yeah. Woolworth. You know what it was? I was imagining someone jerking a bagel instead of jerking a chicken into a bagel. That's disgusting. (laughs) That That is disgusting. In fact, actually somebody offered me I was invited to dinner and they were like, I've made jerk chicken kebabs. And I was like, 
what? They were like jerk chicken kebabs. And I feel like you can't, like that is... You can't be like, no. You Well, I was like, no. So I, I you can't. So I didn't. <laughs> but the thing is, like, you have to think about, like, by jerking something, then it can't be kebab because kebab is, like, cooked on a skewer, right? But that's not how you jerk something, number one. Number two, it can't be jerk chicken and a kebab. Those are two very different forms of preparation. And also, I'm not Jamaican, Nadine, so... I'm a Jamaican as well. I'm, I'm not, though. So I, I, oh. I'm not Jamaican. I thought you so. said you were. No, no, I'm ah. not Jamaican. So jerk means nothing to me. <laughs> I mean, I like it. You know, it. this conversation is reminding me of when I was at uni and um, there was a college at uni, uh, Pembroke College, and they used to put Caribbean names with absolutely everything. So they'd say um, Caribbean mango <laughs> stew. And it got to a point where they kept doing it. Like it would be things like um, jerk chicken salad or like jerk chicken it's something as ridiculous like jerk chicken sausage rolls and it got to a point where the students were like this is so offensive it is lazy that's so lazy there was a facebook page that was just full of people complaining about the weird like names they were giving to really basic dishes and it was just got to it's like jerk chicken potato and it's like no like i'm not having jerk semolina it's not a thing (laughs) jerk semolina is not a thing and i refuse to what's that because it just looks like it looks like minestrone soup well now it's jerk soup and they just throw a scotch bonnet in it that's not how it works that's really not how it works it's like everyone Uh, everyone piri piris everything now it's like yeah uh, it's way too much now everything is piri piri I tell you one thing that isn't a good idea is jerk chicken soup. I mean, the chicken soup with Ugh. juice is exceptional. Jerk chicken. Yeah, exactly. Don't also, combine the two. Soup you can have in Caribbean culture, like mutton soup. That mm. um, that is the soup. Like you don't like a person that knows Jamaican cuisine would not go out and be like, oh yeah, let's have some jerk chicken soup. People would be like, no, it's mutton soup. We have a, we have a food Absolutely. for that. There, there's two opposite ends of your your palate spectrum. It's like. If you feel like soup, you've said, I don't feel like jerk today. You don't have jerk soup. <laughs> like, the only kind of Jamaicans that have jerk soup is if, like, you're on death row. And you're like... <laughs> and then, like, that's why he's on death row, because he's a bumbacart mm. madman. Because nobody else has that. <laughs> it's a good, it's oh, a good point. Are, well made. There are some culinary, culinary clues for anyone. If you are having guests from diverse backgrounds over, just make what you'd make everybody else. Pizza. Yeah. And pizza. Right? Make pizza, yeah. Just make Italian. Everyone eats that. (laughs) Everybody eats Italian. Do you know what? I think it's time for a question. Although we've already kind of done a question in this uh, preamble of culinary kind of concoctions between the Jewish and black communities. But uh, as the format dictates, Dane, it's time for a question, isn't it? Absolutely. Uh, First of all, Nadine, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, Real No, I love it. Irrespective of background your presence <laughs> and consciousness is welcome on the podcast um so uh the way the podcast goes as our very esteemed guest we invite you to ask our first question and you can ask whatever question you want it can be facetious it can be serious it is absolutely your choice which we'll discuss for 15 minutes and some change then how do ask a question of a equivalent caliber we'll do the same and then lather rinse repeat i will ask a question we all discuss then everybody go have a nice time sound like a plan Yep, sounds good to me. Cool. Well then, again, Nadine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and we welcome you to ask the first question. How long until Pretty Patel ends up deporting herself? Good <laughs> 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 question. I was just wondering this the other day because it's getting to a point where it's like, do you think it's going to become a stage where if you are a relation of a refugee, then you become fair game? Because eventually Pretty Patel is going to start falling into a refugee category of sorts. And I'm just curious, you know, and then when will we be being deported? And then I'm just interested as where this, this road goes. I mean, I'm always ready. I'm always ready. In the day. <laughs> I've, and I've never been under any illusion that my place on any landmass on this planet is secure. I have no rights to land. So it could happen anytime. But so far as if Free Patel does it herself... You're, I don't think we're that far off. I'd give it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think we're that far off. Um, because you just have to take into account what I refer to as, I guess, I personally use the term, uh, maybe it could be house negro complex, but it's basically somebody who's put uh, in a position of power who aesthetically looks like the kind of people that are being oppressed or I'd say the, uh, the non-dominant culture. And uh, they tend to perform their job with the increased gusto of not only their uh, normally their white employers but it would even more apply so 
another example of someone with the pre Patel complex would be uh, J. Edgar Hoover, who uh, mm. apparently turns out to have had dual, uh, dual ancestry as well as being a uh, homosexual. But uh, while he was a director of the FBI, would continue to spearhead a number of policies which were very uh, oppressive to the aforementioned groups. Mm. This reminds me of, um, do you know Ben Carson in America? Yeah, same thing. When he he said, you know, um, I think it was something to the the effect of slaves came to the US looking for a better life or something. Yeah. In the bottom of slave ships. And it's like... No, I don't, I don't think that's. I don't think that's the circumstances of how the how not even historically true. It's not even historically true. It's like yeah, and it, and it's, it's this point whereby these people are supposed to be, I guess, the intellectual elite amongst the uh, minorities within these Western nations. Uh, they get elevated to these positions of power, whether it's a Rishi Sunak or it's a Pri Patel, and then you know she turns around and says something like, "Well, if it was up to me, my dad wouldn't be allowed to immigrate here." Then you want to fucking be here, you idiot. <laughs> so what you've done is well, this is you've created a time and reality paradox whereby you would do your job so well you wouldn't even fucking exist. So how does that work? <laughs> if your father could immigrate, you couldn't settle here and be and have access to a Western superior Oxbridge education that's afforded you a position of power and privilege in the first place, pre. So how does that make sense in your fucking head? And to be honest with you, to me it makes sense because you'd have to have that level of apathetic detachment from people that look like yourself in order to be able to spearhead mm. all of these regressive policies. Yeah, so, and same as Ben, because I think, wasn't Ben Carson a surgeon? Yeah, yeah, he's a brain surgeon. He's a brain surgeon. <laughs> he's he a brain surgeon that believes in creationism. Yeah, I mean... Oh, I say creationism, it's, it's, I mean as in, like, the world is two... Like, Jesus is two thousand... The world, the world is, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Two thousand years old, yeah. like, it's... it's How did you even get this job? But I, I genuinely believe that there has to be a certain element of normal rational thought that is kind of suspended i think i think america is a good example like jared kushner and ivanka trump when it comes to donald trump's you know flirting with well not even flirting like outright anti-semitism you know they the cognitive dissonance there they've got their jewish and they've got jewish kids and then he's like proud boy stand by or yeah. you know he was talking about giving jewish people a, a separate nationality um, and then he says Jews that don't vote for him are disloyal and all this kind of stuff. But then people are always oh, not anti-Semitic. You know, he, he's got a Jewish daughter and he's got Jewish uh, grandchildren. And it's like, mm, I don't yeah. really think that's a... a weird way of people try and qualify someone's level of tolerance based on the people they've had sex with. Because yeah, know people <laughs> know this, like, men don't put their dicks in things just because they like them or respect them. That's not really a masculine trait because... Uh, yeah. um, can, can I ask a question? Because obviously listeners will know uh, that Dane's uh, family background is, is Grenada. Uh, they may remember that uh, my family background is uh, kind of Poland and, and Russia. Yeah, I'd love to know how of... I know what it means. Do you see what he does? Like yeah. I... <laughs> <laughs> what, what, where, where, where do you trace your family roots back, Nadine? Just purely because it, I do find it interesting. I, I, sometimes um, I feel like we're not allowed to, sometimes I feel we're not allowed to ask those questions anymore. As I know it somehow is offensive, but no, I mean, obviously no, it's, it's completely normal. Yeah. Um, so basically, um, my mum's white, uh, from England, my dad's black uh, and his grandparents from Jamaica. We have Jewish ancestry on my dad's side, Sephardi Jewish ancestry. But basically when I went to university, I first uh, start, first started learning about Judaism and started reconnecting with that, my history. And then I ended up converting like a few years later. So I actually am a convert, but I have ancestry on my dad's side. Um, I'm hoping to find out more about one day, like if you know, I end up doing making more documentary making or whatever in the future. It'd be something that I'd like to investigate. Um, but yeah, so that's my ancestry, um, English and Caribbean heritage. Um, I, I think the reason I asked that is just because one of the things that I often think about when, when people bring up, because obviously Pretty Patel is a, uh, is a very unpleasant route into the subject of immigration. Ultimately, mm. you know, that is, that's, that, that's what she's providing everyone now uh, for good and for bad. And um, I, you know, I often think people, have a a thing where they'll look at different countries and then have a perception of what immigration means based on that country. So, you know, for example, in this current era, Dane, and obviously that this hasn't always been the case, but, you know, Grenada, Grenada, I'm never quite sure which way to say it. But, Grenada uh, is Spain, Grenada is Caribbean. Grenada, right. Thank you for thank you for correcting me. There you go. That's how we learn. Um, it, you know, right now, people don't have a problem with people necessarily uh, immigrating from that country in the, comparatively to places in uh, Eastern Europe or 
the Middle East that are troubled and war-torn where the refugee problem is so massive. So it's kind of, I always think that's a really particular part of the immigration issue for people is like, yeah, but where have you come from? <laughs> yeah, I, I also mental. think it's, it, well, one of the problems with this um, as well is it may be refugees now, it may be refugees from Syria now, but it's not, it never stays that way. You know what I mean? Like it'll become somebody else. And my biggest concern is that as history shows, whenever you have an economic downturn, people start to turn to blame Jewish people as well. So my, I think in the long term, we're going to have a lot of Minorities in the long term are going to have to start standing together a lot because I think we're on a, a downward trajectory at Absolutely. the moment. Absolutely. I mean, um, I, I wouldn't like to use the term downturn. I feel like only only because I do I do understand that the gravity of the situation, but I don't like to use the defeatist language because I think one of the first initial mm. ways they begin this process of marginalising and oppressing is through a narrative. So... I definitely mm. agree. A galvanization is required. And that's always been my narrative from the beginning since I even became self-aware of ideas of race and stuff. But I feel like we are at a point now where there are a number of ideologies that are beginning to uh, show their uh, lack of effectiveness at this point. Because, for example, as you said, economic downturn normally leads to this uh, driven divisions by the ruling class to prevent like being usurped by proletariat etc and normally what happens is is where so in western europe historically where the uh, jewish population were the i guess the middle class then or perceived as the middle class then that was destroyed in order to appease the proletariat and in the case of uh germany allow hitler to realize power now there are a lot of similarities whereby you know hitler having the autobahn and america proposing to build a wall these nice distractions for uh the menial class to have and to be able to be ensconced by a fascist dictator and turn against, you know, whether it's Latin population or Jews and blacks, etc. But I think we're at a point now whereby, because of, you know, just basic aspects of economic theory, like the fact that immigration is required in order to increase uh, your um, economy. So if you're in a Western, if you're in a Western civilization or any kind of Western or G40 nation, the way our economic models are set up, you require immigration for it in the first place. So, Preeti Patel can be like, I'm going to invest in this. But then there are municipal costs to set up these institutions to facilitate her intentions. So we do have like ICE and we do have immigration services that do monitor and oppress and kind of, you know, um, I guess kind of brutalize or police immigrants or people they perceive to be illegal immigrants. But that costs money. So that's, and we don't have that kind of money. It is, it is, it is mind blowing for somebody who's a, 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 you know, a child of refugees to be so hostile it, it, it's the whole term you know about taking up the this this is it the ladders behind you like and um you know I, I think part of it is internalized you know I feel some people feel the need to overperform um I think Sam Gamaya um I, I watched an interview during the Black, Black, Black Lives Matter protests on Sky News and he was saying how he didn't want to be that black conservative and he didn't want to you know and I think James Cleverly is the same he was on I think Good Morning Britain at one point and Desmond Swain had blacked up and then he said um oh it's not something I would do personally it's like how can you black up James you are black like how how is it getting to your head <laughs> when you're like you know I'm not gonna black up it's like hmm. how are you so far removed from who you are that you you, you say that yeah but that's it and I think there's this mindset within these groups where it's like, you know, oh, I don't, my race doesn't, race is irrelevant, race is irrelevant, it doesn't define me. It's like, no, it doesn't define you and it shouldn't define you, but it's part of your identity. And we live in a society where we have issues with racism and there's issues with racism in your party. And if you're going to a point where you're defending a white colleague for blacking up and then saying it wasn't offensive and then saying, oh, I wouldn't do it personally, you need to ask yourself, are you really connected with who you are um, on like a emotional? Are you, are you accepting who you are? The, the, the bit that kind of I find most challenging when looking at Pretty Patel or, or, or any, you know, the wall in America, you know, whatever, some, is that there are fundamentally complex issues and policies that need to be, you know, incredibly well thought through for immigration in mm. the future, as in, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago, things were different. You know, there were different population levels. There were different economic situations. We, environmental issues. Mm. You know, there were, there's, there's many different things. And, and, you know, you kind of, 
I think I think I, I fear a lot of the time, like many subjects, you only get one version of yeah, events. Yeah, and this is something else. I because I, the problem is to give you an example. Um, I think in the I watched a documentary in the seventies and eighties or something. There was a lot of immigration, but the government put people in one specific like in specific areas rather than distributing it, which meant that there was a strain on the resources in those specific areas, and it meant that minorities were pushed into neighbourhoods or to areas that were, um, you know, less uh less developed or. And, and, and yeah, Hackney. Like that. Hackney, was, yeah. Hackney was a big part. And the, the issue is, it's not that the issue is immigration, it's the way that it's done. And another issue is that I think post the re- post recession is that one of the reasons people started blaming immigrants for their problems was because of underfunding of things like schools and doctors and hospitals. So people would be like, oh, I can't get a hospital appointment. I can't get a school place. I can't get a doctor's appointment. Oh, there's too many people here. It's the immigrants' fault. Well, actually, it's it's to down to funding and strategy when it comes to immigration, but because we can't, and I think this is a deficit. Cause I'm, I'm one of these people that try and get balance and try and see the truth rather than falling into, you know, populists on either side. And I think there is important discussions to have about immigration within, you know, how do we make sure it's distributed in a way that it's not putting disproportionate um, strain on resources. If, if we're going to have a lot of immigration to one area, let's make sure we invest in that area. So we don't have problems where there are school shortages because, you know, someone coming out of an area and going into another area and saying, well, your concerns about the lack of school places because you are racist. That's not true. The concerns about the lack of school places is probably because there aren't enough school places, but we need investment. It's not the immigrants fault. So I think we need to frame, you know, we, immigration is a great thing. I wouldn't be here without immigration. None of us would be here without immigration. Including the fucking English. Sorry to interrupt you. So shut the fuck yeah. up. You're not indigenous <laughs> to this fucking country either while we're on the subject. Because the etymology of your name English pertains to Angle because you're descended from Germanic tribes. So you're not even from this country. So you yourselves are a Mongol race of people that are mixed with fucking Celtics, the Picts, and Normans and, and Romans. Romans and Anglo-Saxons. So you're not even indigenous to this country. So me personally, I don't think we need to address immigration at all. It is in itself a <laughs> theological idea that holds the same weight as a faith-based system. So while people walk around very obnoxiously claiming to be, um, you know, atheist or agnostic, well, the idea of a country is no different. You know how I know? Ask anybody <laughs> that used to live in Yugoslavia or ask anybody that was born in the last 20 years what the fuck Yugoslavia is. So for me, the Mm. idea of nation is as, you know, subjective as any idea regarding any kind of, you know, an English person is has no more weight or credibility really than a Scientologist. It's just how many people believe in that idea. So for me, it's like you have a problem with immigration. Why don't Mm. you take all the fucking British people that live in South Africa, bring them back home where they can try to entertain Mm. economic opportunities here and have all the indigenous Africans that live here go and take up all these places because... The chairman of RBS was Fred Goodwin. And when he sunk that fucking company, he was sent, he went and lived in South Africa. Why is the head of the Royal Bank of Scotland fleeing to South Africa? Why didn't you go to fucking Glasgow then? So for me, I feel like we are just at the apex of the post-war systems that have guided us this far, but we can't go any further with immigration. Because, for example, Australia Mm. is full of space, but the space and the economic and the, the most viable space has been stolen from the indigenous people there, who are indigenous to that particular place. Exactly. And now it's given to people who themselves are English immigrants. Some of them are convicts and rapists and murderers, just how Latin people are described in America. That's where, they, that's where they're descended mm. from, but they, can get, they continue to enjoy all of the bounty that is offered from that landmass. So for me, mm. really, there is no argument for immigration, and Pre Patel very easily is a sociopath, is my answer to that. Yeah, I mean, she's 100% a sociopath. The way she smirks when she said, um, I watched her speech, I think it was yesterday the day before, and she was like, these refugees shop around, um, you know, these asylum seekers shop around for a country that they want to go to. It's like, they're escaping war and death. You, your parents were refugees. Even if they are, How though, can you describe people as shopping around? They, they shopping want around, What moral basis does this country have to tell anybody they can't do that? I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. This is exactly. Yeah. It's not like there's a brochure, is it? It's not like there's a refugee brochure. brochure. No one in this country really who's in a position of power, who owns land overseas, is any moral position to tell somebody if they want to come and annex a particular landmass or manifest their own destiny. Well, we're annexing our own land. 
we're annexing Kent to well, be hateful because well, of the EU. We're like, you know what? We're going to put a hard border well, in got, Kent because we can if, control if our we invade, But if we invaded, if, if, if immigrants invade the landmass, it may not be nice. I don't doubt it will might be unkind if they were to do that aggressively or with hostility. But there is no moral standpoint by which England can tell people not to colonise a fucking place. Because that's why we have an empire. Yeah. So if you have a problem with immigration or aggressive or hostile immigration, then you'd have a problem with imperialism because it's the same act. So really, people need to take a look about who's what are you defining as it. So yeah, basically, her, her outbursts are obviously you know they, they they feed the whole kind of paradoxical idea people have about nation and, and imperialism, as far as I'm concerned. So. And they feed lies because they say things like refugees have to stop in the first safe country they go to. That's not true. Like I, I work at a human rights charity. Refugees can claim asylum in any country they want. There is no limit on where they have right. to claim it. So there's not... Exactly. You know, not or maybe people thing. should look at what instances are creating the need for asylum in the first place. So if you're going to continue to profile weapons to despotic regimes and tyrannical regimes, then you're going to get more and more asylum seekers and refugees. It's exactly. chicken and egg. It's not that hard to work out. So I mm. give her two years, Nadine. <laughs> <laughs> Nadine, thank you for bringing that question to this show. I'm sure our listeners agree. Uh, it's a perfect question for <laughs> Dane Baptiste. Questions absolutely. everything. Thank no, it's it's absolutely fine. <laughs> um, my question is, uh, you know, not a million miles away from uh, from the first question we've had from Nadine. Uh, but it's it's skewed in a little way because uh, I looked through Nadine's um, you know kind of Twitter feed before I, I, I kind of sometimes like to do that stalk our guest a little bit and um, I noticed how obviously kind of interested you are by American politics uh, I think we all are to an extent and um, it's interesting to me to ask the simple question is why are we all so obsessed with American politics when you know, just comparatively, there are obviously a lot of different uh, countries in this world that are fucking crazy too. Um, I think, I think, I think part of it is obviously empire and the fact that um, you know we're connected. The whole, America exists because of us, like it exists because of the UK. I think part of it is because the 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 UK and the US have a lot in common when it comes to culture and language. Um, and I also think, I also think it's because these two like superpowers or whatever are like decaying and I find it, it's almost like they're decaying at different rates. And I almost find it a source of, I don't know, it's like a distraction because, you know, we see things like, oh, an Excel spreadsheet broke and now there's like 20,000 cases of COVID that we lost, lol. Or like, you know, um, just there's just so many incompetent or like the government's going to break international law law or Priti Patel's looking at wave machines to try and deter refugees or she's thinking of shipping refugees down to Ascension Island in the middle of the Atlantic and you you were listening to it you're like am I are these like made up headlines and then you look at America and then you're like oh okay at least we're not as bad as America like at least we're not at that level so for me I think part of it is that and I also (laughs) see um Trump as kind of leading this right um hard right far right populism that our government's jumped on the back of you know during the election we learned a lot as in the conservative party learned a lot on how to win based on you know things like um almost like hollow nationalism like we'll make america we'll make britain great you know lying like when they changed the conservative hq twitter handle to fact check uk like all of these kind of oh my um, God. things all of these kind of things and it was during a leaders debate so they did it in the middle of a debate when they knew everyone would be on social that media is, so that I, is insane that can't yes and, that, and the thing is is, it, is that is that legal because there's no legal precedent for that or well this is the is thing right debate? so how can that be Trump, legal Trump's changed the rules when it comes to politics. Politicians used to lie, but they never used to lie in the way that Trump lies. They never used to lie and say things, you know... I was there. You weren't there. (laughs) Like stuff like when they go, I was there. You weren't there. And it's like, you are in the bed inside of this woman. I've never met her in my entire life. But the picture is there. Fake news. It's like, it's like, yeah, it's like the, the audio when he was recorded saying that he's going to play down COVID. Oh, it's fake news. Or, you know, I watched the leaders debate, um, you know, Biden-Trump leaders debate. He was saying things like the Democrats are going to steal your cows. He spoke about tree cities. He was like, you know, we've got we've got fires in in in, in California, but the tree cities in Europe, they have fires like you've never seen. And it's just a lie. So I think Trump represents this this populism and he is the whatever the the triumvirate of power is he is definitely the caesar in that triumvirate and 
And he's and he's re he's redrawn the the lines of 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 politics. What what's okay and what isn't okay. And it's leading. I think it's it's filtering out. And I think we see in the UK because we have a lot of similarities. You know, two you know two blonde like obese philanderers yeah. liars. You know uh, you know uh, corrupt in, incompetent duplicitous yeah. ethnics that serve this narrative. Like whether yeah, exactly. Priti Patel or Candice Owens or the mixed race kid with the afro. Yeah, and it's using it's using the, the and using minorities as a shield, and particularly uh, as a Jewish person, I noticed this during the election here and in America um, that that Jews are used as a shield as well, often through the lens of oh, we care about Israel, so we care about you, and actually we're going to overlook the fact that we're galvanizing white supremacists because. The, the the Democrats or the Labour are the anti-Semites, and they and they use this is another thing that that I think the Conservatives have learned from the Trump administration is how to use minorities as a shield. So, I think one of the reasons I'm so obsessed with America is for all those reasons, but primarily, and this is why I really want him to be defeated in November, is he has redrawn what is acceptable and what isn't in politics, and until yeah. he's gone, managed to, managed we can't return. He's managed to lower the bar of exactly. Politics. And yeah, the bar is on the floor. Normally, that was that was the bar was basically on the floor with politics, and now he's taking it subterranean. So yeah, 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 it's in hell. We are in hell. Like the bar is in hell, and we're all just stuck under it. Like it's horrendous. Like we're just it, it is like hell. And um, oh, not yet. And I mean, <laughs> not yet. We're not there yet. I mean, let me wrong. They are shooting up synagogues while saying that the left wing are anti semites, which I think is strange. <laughs> Exactly. This is this is the thing, right? And um and we see in the UK, you know, uh, tr- uh, I, I honestly get Boris Johnson and Donald Trump's confused. Like I use their names interchangeably at times. Um, but you know, um, Boris Johnson will hang around with people like Steve Bannon, or you know, you have Tory MPs talking about cultural Marxism, which is a well-known anti-Semitic trope, and all of this kind of stuff. And and that is what the far right, the hard right have learned to do is to use minorities, be it Priti Patel, be it Jews, as a shield. And this is why it scares me. And I think and if Trump is taken down, it takes a lot of steam out of Boris Johnson's um out of Boris Johnson's ship or whatever. Because he first of all he'll be he'll be dealing with Joe Biden, who just isn't operating on the same level of politics that he is. And it redefines what's acceptable for Western leaders. Um and I I, I do sincerely think that if if Trump goes out, we will see an improvement here purely because the contrast and the bar will slowly start to be to go back up to some level. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's why I'm obsessed with it because I don't think British politics would be in the state that it is if Trump didn't exist. Because he he has, you know, Dominic Cummings, all of that. They look to the they look to America for strategies and for ideas. Yeah, and that is quite true. Like it's, it's like oh shit, they got away with that. Well, let's give that. A yeah, try. exactly. Yeah, exactly. Like the like, the like lies being like they they were like stay in your homes. And they were like, but he wasn't in his home. No, nah, but it's different for me because basically my wife was sick <laughs> and so and then we ran out of bread. And the only way we can get the bread that we require uh, uh, in the uh, for two hundred miles and that's a yeah. Yeah, and that, like you know, Trump um, is his COVID. Like, did you see that last night when he got out of the helicopter? Walks up, he's a high on steroids, so there's a very high probability that he's he's not with it at all right now. If you can ever say that he is, but he's standing on the balcony and he takes his mask off. He's clearly struggling to breathe, like he's not breathing very easily. And then he just turns around and walks into the White House without a mask on, and you can clearly see White House staff just milling around. That I like it. Here, I like that, it. Sorry, I like this it. Is a bit- <laughs> I like. It. I love it. I love it. I love it. Because then now, when you work in the White House and you get sick, then it's basically your whole family going, ha, 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 I told you so. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing. So he has redefined what is acceptable for a leader and not just leader. Like we're calling the leader of the free world. I don't think we should continue to see America in that way because as time goes on, it's clear that they're not the leader of the free world. They're not really even the leader of themselves anymore. But um, we can see that it's redefining what we accept in uh, yeah I, ju- I just thought i see the us and the uk as two declining empires the uk is further declining than the us mm-hmm. but these dis- delusions of grandeur these delusions of superiority you know like you know america had the best pandemic response team they've got the worst death toll you know the uk where we've got a really good pandemic response team we've got the worst death toll in europe so it, it's like a decay as well of these two or oh, even um, when like capital, capital, capitalism works of course it works it's a sound economic theory and that's what you have to teach in schools but won't people work out themselves by studying books? No, you tell them. 
you look at American capitalism, it doesn't, you can see from what's happening in America, everything's just collapsing in itself because their, their countries run for profit. They're not run land of the, the interests free, of people. And they have the most people on earth in incarceration and that's the land of the free. So exactly, exactly. So it's all these, all, it's, it's lies that the, these countries have told themselves that are just, you know, just dissolving. Yeah. But I often think, I, I mean, it's, I, I studied, uh, I don't know if I've ever mentioned this on this part, I just did American studies at university. Oh, I want to hear what you've got to say then. Yeah, well, well partly a waste of time in many ways, but <laughs> but I got to go to America, so that was pretty cool. Where did yeah. you study? Uh, New Jersey, uh, Rutgers nice. University, which is an amazing oh, university. Oh, really cool. yeah, yeah. Hello to all the people from uh, Rutgers, uh, New Jersey. Um, <laughs> Are you fucking but, um, going, but, guys? Are you fucking going? Oh, <laughs> yeah. And, <laughs> amazing... Uh, you know, I actually, do you know what? Weird to say that I started my course uh, a month after 9-11, which was a very oh weird time. Obviously made you much more interested in a way in yeah. what was going on. And um, I um, I kind of think, you know, kind of the obsession with American politics, because my wife, I mean, Jesus Christ, she has no idea what's happening in this country, but she understands everything that's happening in America. And I, I think as an obsession, I think one of the reasons it happened is, is what you what you've kind of intimated, really, Nadine, which is that that you you know America set the trend for culture throughout the second half of the 20th century. We just like do you, I mean? Do you remember there was a period? Uh, you know, I think we're not, maybe not all the same ages, but the, the period where like just anything that came out of America, it was just like. Oh, it's amazing! Look, it's American. <laughs> like yeah. McDonald's, it's amazing. It's American. It's like, like and guys, our large is their small. That's what people. <laughs> 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 it, it was amazing, right? It was just incredible. And so our obsession with them, I kind of, I kind of grew and grew and grew. And even like, Trump, even Trump was part of that obsession. Yeah. The Trump, Trump, Trump card, Trump this, Tower. Like yeah, yeah. it's was, all he was, part. He of was it. the uh, Bill Gates of the eighties. But this is what I was going to say is that is that when you look at it, you know, from from a root of politics, you know, just like kind of taking kind of food culture or TV culture to one side for a sec, you know, you can go, okay, Clinton was this guy that, you know, was very charismatic, played saxophone. Oh, and he also was a massive sexual predator that's really unpleasant. So we kind of, the seeds were were, were, were extra sown. Even if they were already there with, with, with Nixon, you know, the seeds were sown of a kind of like, oh, American politics is juicy, isn't it? <laughs> you mm. know, and then, you know, you got Bush in charge, which, you know, we all remember the, the footage of him the day 9-11 happened, kind of just carry on reading a children's book. Um, you know, so it kind of you had this he guy. Used to come out with the bizarrest statements as well, like the stupidest things. Well, it was, it was now he looks like an incredibly intelligent character, well, who's right. very oh, qualified oh, for the job. See, yeah. see that, and that is the problem, Howard. It's that comparative of these evils that is a part of our narrative in the first place, where we're like, now we see Trump, George Bush Jr. seems intelligent. No, he fucking doesn't. It's just two dumb people. Sure, sure. But I I suppose what I'm getting at is that our obsession with the political figures in this country was developing from Clinton to Bush to then, obviously, Obama was this kind of like truly kind of like, you know, high level, almost like. But that's the thing you have to remember as well is that one of America's largest exports like that as well is their their sensationalism of their media. So while they began Mm. to become this hegemony over the world, a large part of that, Howard, was facilitated by the fact that that was that what they used to purport to the world. It was this very uh, glossy, inclusive, Western kind of... It's like empire. It's yeah. like British empire. This is why yeah. I compare the two. It's like, yeah, it's so it was, it was the new empire, but and, and, their, and their exports and their, and their aesthetic was, like, you know, this idea of benevolence of inclusion, so much to the point where they even probably fooled people to the fact that, like, yeah, there was some racism and stuff a little bit, but then they had civil rights and everything's okay. Now black guys play basketball. Hooray! Mm. So mm. I think one of the reasons, and, you know, and that's... But I think, yeah, the, the main reason that we follow and we stay attuned to American politics so much so is their ability to sensationalise their aesthetic all the time anyway. But I think a large mm. part of it is really just, yeah, the um, echo of imperialism whereby they've just had... And they learned it from us. Yeah. They learned it from yeah, us, it you know, rural Britannia, land of hope and glory. Yeah, it's, it's somehow we remember the empire, in a, like people remember the empire in a really favourable way. And it was defined by massacres and genocide. And, and yeah, so, and, 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 you know, and it's weird because then people will look at something like Star Wars, which is basically an allegory showing the same thing of, you know, empire and corruption. And then they're like, the stormtroopers are bad. But then you don't notice that, like, they are the people who are, like, the white cannon fodder for the imperial power. And you don't see the parallels between that and the world we're living in now. Well, I think it's an amazing power that America has that incidents and, and, and this incredible 
kind of procession of a cause of BLM in America has made, you know, a scenario now where every footballer takes a knee before a game in Britain. That's, you know, there's no way the reverse happens, right? If something if something was going on in Britain like that, it would never lead to American sports people. Unless, you know, unless it's an aesthetic uh, representation of, you know, the tenets of imperialism that America has enjoyed and learned from as well, like you said, because, oh. you know, the idea of a massive fleet that liberates the rest of the world or this uh, kind of whole idea... Cosmetic, uh, the whole monarchism as well. Where it's like, we we have a queen. There are a lot of countries that have a fucking queen. Mm. Well, this is the thing. It's part of it's part of the influence, and I think another reason why we're so linked is America benefits from the British Empire probably more than anyone because the language is across the world and it's become like a lingua franca. Our empire declined around the rise of um, the rise of America. Like if you look at World War II, the end of World War II, Britain starts to become a middling European state and we were the most powerful nation in the world. Like no, we, we can't really imagine it now, but we were probably had more influence than America because we had, we had colonies on every so continent. Everyone speaks um, English. There doesn't need anything, nothing, exactly. nothing more needs to be said. We had no domestic ex- exports and despite that, the pound still remained the strongest currency in the world. Yeah, and this is the thing. And English is probably one of the most valuable assets Absolutely. someone can have in this world because it's the lingua franca. It's the language everyone speaks. So we, as a nation, I don't think we can imagine how powerful we were as a nation with, you know, in the I think I don't think there was any country now we can compare to influence to the empire. I think that's how powerful it was, and that's how violent it was to have that level of influence. Nations and their power and their efficacy over the earth has diminished because who needs a nation now when you can have a multinational? Jeff Bezos, Jeff Bezos would beat all of us. See, I'm saying how the Amazon is bigger than the fucking Amazon in the world we live in now. That's insane. <laughs> it's that is insane. You cut down trees to make cardboard boxes for Amazon stuff. So you're destroying the Amazon for Amazon. How? <laughs> How? <laughs> it's true. It's true. If we're on a plane that's on a rapid descent, that's the cockpit. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. It's because true. that's what it comes down to in life is irrespective of your class, we're all going to the same destination. Well, yeah, and I think that's true. I think that's why you see with Trump, Trump started redefining what politics is and we've quickly followed. Ten years ago, even conservatives and what, what Boris Johnson was doing around the election, they were horrified. People like Ken Clark are like, I've never seen anything like this yeah. before. And the rise of people like Dominic Cummings are a direct result, and Nigel Farage are a direct result of what's happening yeah. in America, this kind of divisive rhetoric. Um, and yeah. Well, I, I think we've we've definitely given our viewers some some food for thought. Um, and um, and these have been two pretty heavy, good questions today, though, Dane. So uh, over to you for the final question. Are you going to go along a similar route? I am, or, actually. Uh, I am. Yeah. Nadine, you've brought this out of us, I just so you know. This is the right thread, <laughs> but uh, on the, at the time of recording uh, yesterday, Pure Jim had issued an apology uh, for um, somebody suggesting a new incentive, which they refer to as a 12 years of slave workout, uh, with a tagline being... That 12 years as a slave is tough, but this workout is even harder. I believe, and it may be a conspiracy theory, that these things are deliberately orchestrated around Black History Month in order to generate publicity from back, backlash from the diaspora. I think we've seen it before with uh, H&M, we've seen it before with Gucci, whereby these corporations understand that no publicity is bad publicity. Most people are desensitized to black trauma or outrage anyway. And it just generates, it's just an effective tool of marketing in the same way that Starbucks employees, I believe, are trained to write people's names down incorrectly so that people will put that on their social media, thereby providing free advertising for Starbucks as a corporation. So anyway, I say all that to say this. I um, 12 Years a Slave was actually on Channel 4 the week before this happened. But basically what I'm trying to say is I don't give a fuck because I am tired of slavery films in general. And my question to you, Nadine, is are you sick of slavery films as much as I am? The most difficult thing about black movies is the constantly being put into these um, these typecasting and these roles as if, you know, the only thing we can get black people to do on film is slavery or racism. You know, you never see a rom-com or you see very few rom-coms with black people, or you see, you know, very few teen... How many teen films or franchises have a black lead character? You know, you know what I mean? Like, yes. you don't see these yeah. things. I black so. lead character, they don't exist in these very binary states where they're either very hypersexual and their sexuality is only validated by a white love interest, 
uh, or they appear on the other end of the spectrum in the mammy archetype where they are uh, overweight and asexual and serve as a comedic foil or a sidekick to a white protagonist. Exactly. And it, it's the fact that we're in 2020 and we're still, you know, still having these conversations is really depressing. And I try and think off the top of my head, growing up, there weren't any, because I was really into things like Lord of the Rings yeah. and Harry Potter and stuff like that growing up. There were no, I remember being young and thinking there were no people that looked like me. And even in books, the descriptions, you know, you never, you always look out for someone that looks like you. And even though the characters are never described about what they look like, you always know. Even when you know the the, the Harry Potter when um, Harry Potter and the Cursed Child went to stage, and um, I saw it, and you know Harry um, Hermione's black, and everyone was furious. Even though, about it, if you even read though... the story of Hermione, she's fucking black. Nadine, think about it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Nadine, tell me at which point you begin to see the parallels in your life. Big, nice curly hair that white people want to touch and can't understand. Then you work <laughs> twice as harder than everybody else in your prestigious establishment in order to get the same results and even just have your presence there even validated in the fucking first place. Exactly. And she does everything for Harry and she's the one that actually manages to get everyone through the series, but she gets no, th- no so credit funny. for she, it. She, exactly. does everything for Harry and ends up marrying a ginger motherfucker. Harry plus ginger. <laughs> Meghan Markle, anyone? <laughs> it's true. It's true. It's foreshadowing. It's you know, foreshadowing. No one gives a fuck what Kate Middleton did before she married William. The last time I saw her, she did a fucking fashion show. Then the paper showed her breasts. Whereas... Megan is a self-made millionaire, an accomplished creative, a producer, actress, and philanthropist, and she got a guy who used to wear Nazi costumes to fucking fancy dress parties to have a mixed race child with her. You know how good you have to be to do that, Nadine? <laughs> and not only that, now they now they do um, you know, they released a list of was it top ten or top twenty people for Black History Month and they did a whole thing saying we need to end systemic racism in the UK. Um, so yeah, I, I think, I think the problem is, is that black people are typecast and, you know, if we had a balance of movies where we had slavery movies and we also had, you know, rom-coms and fantasy, because I would love to see like a black fantasy movie. Like one of the things I wanted to do growing up and something that I will do hopefully one day when I get time, probably when I retire is write, um, you know, kids series or something like a Game of Thrones type, because I'm actually a massive nerd, um, that have black people in it. And whenever I used to write, because I've used to write a few chapters here and there, because when I, when I wanted to write, but when I was younger, the lead character was always mixed race or black. Like it always, the lead character looked like me basically, because I wanted to have a story that I could look at. And, you know, there was a black mum and a white dad and, you know, black family members and white family members. And it wasn't this kind of, I, I just because of my race and just because of the character's race didn't mean that I had to be like from the hood or you know poor or um a criminal or a slave they were just them um and I just so yeah I, I completely understand what you mean and we never I mean I, th- I think the only films where you see a lead character I can think of is like when Mar- Marty, uh, Morgan Freeman is like president or God and like, that's the only films I can think of really Denzel Washington uh, is an in- is a, a detective They've transcended uh, to a particular socio-political group whereby I guess they are what I would refer to more as green than black because they've arrived at a, 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 a echelon of society or a socio-economic group where people viewed them more as a brand as opposed to taking into account their race. In the same way that, like, you know, Michael Jordan is number mm. 23 or Ronaldo is number nine. Like, people see them more as more mm. iconoclasts than actual human beings that have an affinity in a group. So, yeah. Uh, where, where do we stand... Um... Where do we stand on Django? Uh, Django, the... I, th- I think Django shit. was a really no. good film. No, it wasn't shit, think? but it um, shows you that there is a very malicious uh, or insidious um, idea behind the portrayal of black people in these films. The person who is responsible for the kidnap and enslavement of Django's wife is a white man. However, Django is supposed to be the mm. lead protagonist in that film. It's, called, it's named after him. He's the titular character in the film. So how mm. can he doesn't get to kill Leonardo DiCaprio? Mm. instead Christoph Waltz does it before dying because a lot of these films they won't be made mm. if a black man is able to kill a white antagonist the, the villain the villain is portrayed so for me like the villain is portrayed as the blacks the, as uh, Samuel L. Jackson I think that's what I meant earlier like he is portrayed as and like you say but it's the white slave master that is the, yeah, the villain he's not going to die but even then why is the primary antagonist in a film about chattel slavery a black man Mm. Because despite his very sociopathic and Preeti Patel-esque um, <laughs> platitudes, despite his platitudes, what remains is that he's still a slave. Mm. However malicious he is or insidious or intelligent or calculating he is, the one thing he and Django have in common is that they cannot leave that plantation when they want. Mm. 
Mm. Therefore, he is not in control and he is not the prime antagonist. Yeah. Caprio is. But he don't get to get killed by Django. Mm. I I think the thing with Django was that it was a very... It's Quentin Tarantino, wasn't it? Yeah. I, I just I think it was one of those films where a classic Quentin Tarantino film where it's a spectacle and it's very yeah, dramatic and it's like you know it's like Inglor- Inglorious Bastards is him as well isn't it yeah um, but yeah I thought I, I agree I think there are certain actors that transcend um, casting so and I always think it's black men I, I think yeah. it's always like Will Smith yeah. Denzel Washington Morgan Freeman they become almost and and I think a, an example of it in music until recently was Beyonce as well. Absolutely. I think she became, you know, I think there was a whole sketch in SNL where they were like, it was all these white people realised, like, oh my God, Beyonce's black? We yeah, don't yeah. just realise. And it's it's because these these stars become, they kind of transcend it. And yeah, I think- it's part, it's part of the covenant as well, is that for you, especially if you are of a diverse background, for you to realise a certain position in society, you almost have to, yeah, betray this um, narrative where you reference your own blackness. So with the Beyonce host um, thing, is that up until Beyonce was able to bring out albums on the internet direct to customer, it's like she had to play this game where, you know, there was all these aesthetics where she looks as European as as, as, much, as, much mm. as possible. And then they just, and then Solange makes the independent art house albums where she can reference her blackness. Mm. Was, and, was, and I also think Beyonce having um, Blue as well, having a black daughter kind of, because obviously Beyonce's light skin, so she, she enjoyed a lot of benefits from that. And I think having a kid that's darker than her and also in this public eye as much, and also being compared to North, because um, obviously North and Blue were born around the same time. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think, I, it would be nice to see some black, you know, black lead roles in a high school drama or a fantasy yeah, series. Yeah, no more slave or... films because this is the thing is that it's it's this idea and this narrative about the idea that this is a part of black history where that's not black history. What you're actually depicting is white history in terms of interactions with the African diaspora in the first place. Mm-hmm. That's not the same as black history because there is a proto-culture, a proto-civilization that existed way before chattel slavery existed as an idea. So even by this term black, and the term black itself did not even exist. Exactly. It's because of that. So by, because even by the Darwinistic definition of species, which people hold on so dearly in this country, and all these Dawkinites are like, yeah, yeah, atheism, yeah, yeah. Well, then race doesn't even exist as a concept. Just by exactly. the definition of species. It's another thing that people don't realise. Yeah. And, and the thing is for me, the slave, the slave films is that it's because, uh, for me, and I've, I watched Hold Your Slave, and I thought Stephen Queen made a great film. But at the same time, for me, it's not a slave film. If you want to show a slavery film, the truth is, any film which accurately depicts slavery is not getting past any film board's classification. Yeah, it's true. That's the truth. So for me, if you want to show it, the real, the reality of it, you know, you, you know you'd never be able to make a film about it. So until you do, I think they're all shit. And what they also do is that you're, you've teach, you're teaching generations and generations generations, especially people who do not have regular interactions with the diaspora, that this is the entirety of our existence. So even mm. black children feel like, first we were savages, then we were slaves, then Christians freed us, then Martin Luther King. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Our understanding of our own history, the way that we're taught it, I mean, I'm doing a piece for work at the moment and it's looking at, I wanted to look at 10 black British people um, who led human rights and I've got, I've gone back to the 18th century so the 1700s and there was some there was some guy that i can't i can't remember their names exactly now um because I've, I've just started writing it but some of them were freed men who came to the uk and joined the sons of africa which was an abolition movement and we're talking the 1700s right and and they were writing to the royal family saying can we abolish um slavery i'd like to see a film about that I'd be very interested in seeing a film about that, about a man who, you know, humanises black people rather than... Because these slavery films don't start showing you... Sorry, I'm going back and forth, but his book looks at... It explains... Because they write books about their experiences, this guy from the 18th century. And he describes what Africa was like, like where he was from. He was from Benin, I think, and he had family and friends and a life. And then he came, he got obviously got enslaved as a child and then bought, uh, taken to the Caribbean. And then he came to London and he joined the Sons of Africa abolition movement. And they wanted to start a black colony for poor poor blacks in London, in Sierra Leone, so black people could go and live and be independent. And that's something that I would love to hear about. That is something that is empowering to black people. What isn't empowering is constantly seeing black people being whipped and raped and murdered by white people on screen as if this is the only thing. And also being their saviors too. Hence the, and I think the same is same hence, for Jewish hence, people as well when it comes to the Holocaust. Yeah. Jews are always p- painted as passive. You know, yeah. we, ne- we never see resistance. There were Jewish resistance fighters, like the Warsaw Ghetto Uprising. There were, that wasn't the only one. Yeah. But, you know what I mean? Like Black people, are, and in the extent to the Holocaust, Jews as well, were always portrayed as these passive victims. We're not 
you know, there's more to us than and, that. And, and, um, and, then, and then being revealed to be, again, these very uh, passive and, uh, you know, um, a kind of insular community that hasn't continued to fight against oppression, not just for themselves, but for, you know, other minority groups since. Mm. More like, why can't you be more like the Jews? They're just quiet and make money. Be more like the Asians. Like, <laughs> because that's a part of the propaganda is that it drives this division between these Exactly. They want to kind of be galvanised. But I, I just, I'm a second because, like you said, it's like, it's like this small window of history, which is less than a millennia, where there have been proto-Roman and proto-Greco-Roman cultures that existed on the continent. You know, Timbuktu had a fucking university. That's a known fact. Even in um, the 300, uh, Leonidas's brother uh, was Scipio Africana. Was based. It was was doing trade with Africa way before Leonidas even took the um, the throne in Sparta in the first place. Also, if you're a fan of the 300, the Spartans were super gay. Super, super gay. <laughs> They're real gay. Before they downed in the shade, they had lots of butt sex, which is absolutely fine. It was a way of building solidarity. And, and but you should know. You should know between the other Spartans. So if you've got a Spartan tattoo, you're into the Spartans, or you use Spartan references to uh, emphasize your hyper-masculinity, then you might as well suck a dick too. And I mean that in a good way, because that's what Spartans yeah. did. Suck each other's yeah. dicks. You ready to fight? Let's have sex first. I'm going to miss you if anything happens to you, buddy. Just so you probably know. Sex after the, probably sex after the fight. It's more, yeah, some more of a celebration. Sex yeah, Before, some, sex, yeah. Some, some pre-sex and some victory sex. Just loads, a load of butt sex. So it's like, this isn't Sparta. This is anal! <laughs> <laughs> if you guys really want to research safely to the listeners look up John Brown America's first domestic terrorist Ooh, I is a white man who actively took up arms with his family members and based on Christian doctrine would actively engage in what is referred to as domestic terrorism against slaveholders in order to free African slaves and that was a white oh wow I didn't read his name is John Brown so look him up and then ask yourself why yeah. did Bob Dylan wrote him. Bob Dylan wrote a song about him yeah, which uh, is so well worth Bob listening Dylan to really so how come there's not been a film about him uh, it's interesting and I think that, that you know my part of my, my, listening to that great conversation is texture depth variables all of these things that just get lost in the kind of you know endless kind of like just like big the general spread that hollywood and places just do of certain things they just people want the uniqueness and the and the, and the depth of, of a conversation not just the nine the fast simple... and furious films yes they're ethnically diverse <laughs> yes, they're very fun <laughs> soundtracks but if you can make nine fast and furious films and 27 land before time films can you make one black film that isn't referenced slavery please yeah. yeah, and and just to really conclude, um, you know, pure Jim, um, which which sparked this idea <laughs> of this conversation. Uh, just a little kind of fuck you. And when it comes to Holocaust Memorial uh, in January, we don't want a Schindler's exercise <laughs> list. Do you know what I mean? We don't want the boy in the striped pajamas does burpees. Okay, well, we're cool. Spotify doing a Schindler's playlist. Sh- <laughs> oh, we're good. We're good. Um, but um, but I, suffice to say, it's been a brilliant question and it's been a brilliant, brilliant episode. Nadine, you've been such a great guest because I'm sure a lot of our listeners, you know, this may be the first time they're coming across you. And, and I think you, you, you've you been a brilliant, brilliant guest, hasn't she, Dane? Absolutely. Uh, so I think Hal has definitely covered all that. Nadine has uh, flown by and uh, uh, it goes without saying that we probably could discuss this for another couple hours. So yeah. which we'll make happen. We'll make happen. Hopefully uh, we'll maybe start a live podcast or we'll definitely have you as a guest back on the podcast again. Or Yeah. I'd love to. I'll come on your podcast and we'll continue the conversation there. Yeah, that's a good idea, actually. Absolutely. So we can make that happen. So please email those details. But for those of us who can't join us on the podcast, where can our listeners find you, Nadine? And what projects have you got coming up that people can check out, please? Um, so I, I kind of want to plug my charity that I work at. It's not my charity. I work for a charity um, called Each Other. I think we spoke about it at the start. It's a human rights charity that is, um, produces independent journalism. So we cover things like um, flaws in the universal credit algorithm, um, you know, the, the threats to your human rights from coronavirus legislation. So I recommend you all check that out. I have my own podcast, um, Nadine Talks. You can find it on Twitter. Um, I'm planning on getting that up and running again soon. I did some stuff over the summer and had a little brief hiatus and yeah and you can catch me on twitter um it's nadine bh underscore um and you can find my website and stuff from there cool marvelous absolutely so thanks again nadine it's been a wonderful session and uh i imagine the world i imagine the world will be hearing a lot from you in the coming years nadine keep working hard i'm sure i I hope you hope you haven't heard my dogs barking too much in the background if anyone's listening (laughs) and they had a few barks um they're running around downstairs You've been listening to Dane Baptiste Questions Everything. 
hosted by Dane Baptiste. For more from Dane, go to danebaptiste.co.uk or follow him on Twitter at DaneBapTweets or Instagram at DaneSnapTeast. Our guest was Nadine Bachelor-Hunt. You can follow Nadine on Instagram and Twitter at NadineBH underscore. The show is produced by me, Howard Cohen. Follow me on Twitter and Instagram at the Howard Cohen. The show is mixed and mastered by Audio Culture. You can follow Audio Culture on Instagram at WeAreAudioCulture. Please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at DBQE Podcast. Thanks to Polly, Gelly, and the ACAST team for all their support. Thanks for listening, guys. And remember, question everything. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with Code Program for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code Program.